You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. The Hardcore Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Bob. And I'm Tom. Yo, we're sounding good. Ooh. You're feeling good after that Jake Paul win? (sighs) Well, we're going to get into it. No, you know what? We just did the briefest of pre-pro. And uh, I was like, oh, we didn't even sync up volumes or see how we're sounding. No. But but when when the light went on, boom, everybody was ready. It's a nice feeling. Premature pad over here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, my, that's my name. Um, <laughs> that's what I've, so I've been told. Before we get into the main event, <coughs> uh, let's let's give a big shout out to all four of our sponsors: Run for Cover Records, Death Wish Inc., Closed Casket Activities, and To Live a Lie. Uh, just uh, you know, the behind the scenes. We're recording this the weekend of Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday, right. So uh, we remind you all that our four sponsors are all small businesses in themselves, uh, that supporting them directly is the best thing you can do. Um, They support this community of music and all that shit. And it's just really cool. Excuse me. I think we've talked about this, the idea, try to support smaller endeavors people doing things this this holiday season uh if you look around and see the numbers the big boys got bigger (laughs) and a lot of small businesses that i've enjoyed that all three of us have enjoyed have had a hard time or just gone defunct thankfully we're not really worried about that with our four sponsors um but go out and support them patrick you're going to enter a promo code that is axe to grind and Tom, what do you got to do with it? You're going to have to spell it out. Boom, boom. Uh, yeah, so support them. We, we love all of them. We appreciate them. We would, we would tell you to support them even if they weren't our sponsors, but they are, so you get a little discount. Uh, they've run various sales, but you can always use our discount. So, um, guys, why don't you tell me about the Saturday night fights? Okay, let, let me describe it to you. Uh, I'm on a cot. Patty Pazienza over here. I'm on a cot typing my uh, little newsletter that I do each week. Uh, Eric is on my floor sitting next to the router trying to make a Spanish language uh, bootleg stream of the fight uh, work. (laughs) We saw three punches (laughs) of the entire event. So that, that was my experience. I, uh, I, Tom, you're, you're going to carry us on this one because for me, I was going through pangs. I, uh, was talking to some friends. One of them was getting, I think one of them found a good stream, but I fell asleep. Uh, they eventually found one, but they were hanging out with someone who has a Mike Tyson tattoo. So you knew they were watching. <clears throat> I, uh, I was really, 
I was like gung ho. Then I watched the way in and both of them looked old. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to pay. I'm not going to pay for this, but I'm not sure if I should watch it. Right. So, so carry us away here, Tom. Tell us you, you got, you got some access. I got some access through, you know, not completely illicit means, not as illegal as, as, um, Eric Wilson from <laughs> Worst Possible Timeline, living at eleven seventy two. I don't. Know. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I I missed the I watched the first fight on the main card. So there were three fights in the main card, two like actual professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember their names. Then the the main support was Nate Robinson from the Knicks. Versus three-time NBA dunk champion, yes, and incredible shape. Um, versus absolutely Jake Paul. Um, Yo, quick, yeah. how would you describe Jake Paul to someone who just got here in a time machine from 1990? Well, this is pretty funny because when we were watching it on on um, Zoom last night, uh, Christian's uncle was on, and he's an older man, and he's like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" And we had to try to explain <laughs> what Jake, who Jake Paul is, and he's like, he's on YouTube. He's like, yeah, but what does he do? And I'm like, that's a great, great question, Grandpa. <clears throat> um, he, so, all right, so this is we're, we're explaining. Do we have to explain YouTube to this alien who just got here? <laughs> no, you know what? Let's fast forward like 15 years. Let's say 2005. So people know what YouTube is, and they know what the internet is, and they get it, but. But like the idea of an influencer in 2005 didn't exist yet. Yeah, I mean, him and his brother are like these two famous um, stars on YouTube. They have their own channels. They go around doing dumb shit. Like it's it's jackass without the fun. Yo, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly where I landed. I said it was imagine Bam Margera with product placement. Right, less punk rock jackass. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> like Bam Margera from fucking. Uh, the hills from ocean orange county california yes. no uh, no sense of subculture at all but he has his own youtube channel that like millions and millions and millions of people subscribe to yeah he's yeah. worth millions of dollars yep. yeah he made seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for the fight last night and wow. uh, and nate made five hundred thousand which hey yeah yeah not bad it would no, get me out of bed. I'll take it. Yeah, um, and then would you fight. Would you fight uh, Jake Paul for five five hundred k? I would fight Jake me. Paul for sixty bucks and a sandwich. Tom, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, like I couldn't go deep into rounds, but if I, all I got to do is hit him once. Oh, yeah. oh no! Yo, oh, you I'm know saying, what? I, Honestly, there's no chance. If I, I, I stand no chance against the guy. I'll just take the beating for sixty dollars. <laughs> Yo, in a non-filmed environment, yeah, give me give me fifty bucks in a sandwich. Sure, I'll I'll go. Right, but if you're in a filmed environment, eight. yeah, I want a hundred k. Yo, if right. if he if does beat me, uh, man, I can just be like, yo, I got a hundred k, man. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there was a uh, <laughs> someone tweeted like the Nate coming out, like how it started, how it finished, and how it started was Apollo Creed coming out dressed up like Uncle Sam. Oh, wow. And how it ended was him face first on the canvas because that's – I mean, yeah. Nate Robinson got fucked up. I mean, you could tell – you could tell like when watching people – like you can fight maybe 
but like not professionally. Like he was just like yeah. lunging forward. Yeah. And like if you know you sidestepped a little bit, dude was gonna fall into his face. Like there was no balance. There was no like you know, and like I mean he got hit. I don't. I mean, I go to hardcore shows. I've seen people get hit way worse than that and just keep going. Yeah, he got. You know, it's like that thing in a fight. So the first, the first knockdown, because he he got he he got KO'd, but it was his third knockdown, but it was a KO. The first knockdown was a weird hit to the sort of side back of the head. I get like okay. The second knockdown was a, a solid solid hit. The third, the real the KO. It seemed like one of those, what are, like a uh, glancing blow. You know what I mean? Like it just got him in the right spot, and he went cold. And yeah, you know, it didn't. I don't. I can't say how how strong or hard. He just Jake Paul. Credit to him. Got had an opening and squared him right there. You know, like yeah. I mean, the kid is obviously he trains a lot. You can kind of tell. Yeah, he's got billions off fucking YouTube, so he can just right. Chill that's and all train. you do, right? And then you can film yourself training and be like, "Here's new content for the page, bro." Um, I was only worried that like Nate Robinson was gonna break his neck falling because it was like one of those like million dollar baby fucking head first, like no hands <laughs> down, just like out. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then um, the main event of the evening, um. Who one my, Christian kept calling? Oh, so it's Tyson versus Ray George Jr. And I'm like, that that's not his name at all. <laughs> He's like, I've never heard of this guy. I'm like, you've never that's, heard uh, of that's Roy Regina George's older brother. Yeah. Um, I was like, you've never heard of Roy Jones Jr. He's like, no. I'm like, he's an incredibly famous fighter. Yeah. Like, yeah. Incredibly but famous. I, uh, I I think for people that I think a lot. I, I don't nice. know Christian's age, but I think a lot of people. My that were young and excited during the Tyson era. After that, there was a less exciting period that just boxing shaved off thousands and thousands of fans. I mean, you know, just, quite honestly, could be millions. You know what I mean? It could be like, millions. Could be millions. Yeah. Because um, that that range, when it shifted from Tyson to the Holyfield, Lennox Lewis, return of George Foreman. Right. It just, it lost the sizzle. I mean, and yo, like quite honestly... Holyfield, Lennox Lewis, those are really good boxers, man. They were great, great but great. Le- Lennox Lewis totally underrated. If you watch him, if, if you watch the clips of it, you're like, oh, I was just so in love oh. with Tyson as a child. Yo, <laughs> you know I mean? when you I see Lewis at his size, oh my god, he was huge, yeah, and he was fast. Like he he was quick and fast at his size, which uh, doesn't happen. Like, yeah, I mean, awesome. and Tyson like fights were like a cultural moment. Like, yeah. I remember as a kid going to like my buddy Oscar's house and like because his father was way into it. My father was not paying 50, bu- 50 bucks in 1990, whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. <clears throat> but like it'd be like, I remember specifically going over for the Michael Spinks fight. Oh. And wow. it was like 91 seconds. I was like, I, yep, I just got it. Here. Yep. Um, but so the Tyson one, there, there were like tons of weird rules. They used bigger gloves, yeah. heavier gloves, so you can do less damage. Any cut would, would cause the fight to end. There were no like knockdowns or knockouts. Huh. Okay. Um, it was strictly an exhibition. Okay. From watching it, yeah, not let, like, I, yeah. Well, let's call it for what it is. This is this is a lockdown event. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh, this is, people are yeah. fucking yeah. bored. <laughs> like, yeah, it was like a total money grab, like whatever. But like to me, just you know, I don't know how like people like 
you know, like when you're like, let's go to the cards. Oh, he had a 10-9 round. I never understand any of those things. But yep. just, you know, watching it, I was like, Tyson beat the shit out of this dude as much as he could have. And it was, ended up being a draw. So they're definitely yeah. going for like that that rematch money. Yeah. But they Man, I, I heard the same thing. I heard the same yeah. thing. It was like because I, I agree. The the scoring in boxing is wild. And there's there's part of it is formula, but it's mostly to the independent judge to decide how they how they how they rate it, you know? Right. But, and they had like But I heard Tyson dominated him for much oh, of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean he looked he looked pretty great. But they had like Vinny Pazienza, um this uh I don't know if she was the first woman boxer, Christy Morton, or one of the first mm. famous ones. At some other like so they had three pro boxers as judges off site, which I don't know what the hell that was all about. But they also <laughs> had musicians between fights. Okay. <laughs> so like they had um they had YG. Mm-hmm. Okay. Probably like a ten minute set. Okay. The big thing about that was that he shouted a song out to Pop Smoke and um who's the dude that just died in Atlanta? Pat, you'll King know. Von. Von. King Von. Yeah. He shouts out a song to them, and literally the song he's starting starts out with gunshots. <laughs> like he didn't mean that, but people are like, yo, dude, really? Like these poor guys just got <laughs> shot and killed, and you're, you're like, this is so and so, so and so. It's like, what the fuck? No, it's too awkward. Um, Neo sang the national anthem right before Tyson. Okay. Um, there was another guy, St. John, who I only heard about recently on the Joe Budden podcast, but, um, he, he was like the main event, like the headliner of the musicians. There was somebody else that was on. I forget who else was on it. And then when Snoop Dogg was on, but Snoop Dogg was like, Snoop Dogg was like one of the color commentators. He right? was one of the, so the color commentators were, um, Mauro Ronaldo, who's like famous from like different, like pride and all these like, you know, MMA fights. Um, Israel Adesanya, who's like the a champ at UFC, Snoop Dogg, who also performed like a ten minute set, but his whole like he was just making he was just like ripping into people. He's like, this is like like there's like a there's um a clip of them like you know punching whatever, and he's like, this is like when my two uncles get drunk and start fighting at the barbecue, like he just like <laughs> shit funny. on every. It was really really funny. Like people were like, he needs to be on everything. I'm like, this wouldn't work anywhere else. No, <laughs> because like other fights and like UFC or all the stuff, it's like people are kind of putting their lives on the line and him making light of it probably wouldn't go over so well. But when it's, you know, like Tyson's not going 100 percent. No, I mean, he when, has to, he when Jake Paul's the the the, the uh, hardest worker on the bill. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, but it was it was something. Hopefully Christian will be able to write that off as like, you know, he's like, I wanted to see the production. I'm like, can you like take that off your taxes for like work or something? Cause um, I feel like you got taken. <laughs> Yo, uh, would you, for the price that you paid, would you watch again for free 99? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right, like if I'm not allowed out, if I'm still locked down, I'll fucking, I'll watch Pat fight Eric right now in, in his underpants. I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> Oh shit. That's, that's worst possible timeline. New year's Eve special. Yeah. That's the main event. The battle would you for the do that? Room. Would you get like oversized boxing gloves and fight Eric? For sure. Would what you if do you it on, on live or would you do it like only on the Patreon? How would you do it? On demand. Mm, that's a good Christ. that's a good question. We need to figure um, out how to monetize this. And would yeah, you that's win? A good question. I don't know, but there's not I'll be I'll be totally honest with you. I don't I don't have like the pride issues about getting beat up. Like 
if sure. I'd fight most people <laughs> because I don't have a real pride issue about getting beat up. If it, if it happens, it happens. So like, uh, in this particular case, I'd whoop his ass, but like, I'll, you know, uh, line up the line up people that are interested. It's just, uh, I, I think that there's too much since the era of the cell phone video. I think there's like way too much stress about getting knocked out. Whooped. You know what I mean? Because you don't want to get embarrassed, yeah. but I would just fucking shrug. You know what I mean? Some dudes yeah. hit hard. <laughs> you know what, I mean? like, what do you want? You, like, you would just, go full. You'd go full. No warning. Want to see me lose? Get in fucking line. I feel yeah, like exactly. Eric would yeah, like. Precisely. You'd be like, you know, popping Eric like joking around, like being like yeah. a dick, and be like, "Hey, look, I hit you in the belly." And he would just like snap at one point and like pick you up and like power bomb you through like the living room table. Yeah, I, there's and a breaking like, point. Boxing. There's a breaking point with Eric. Like, yes. like, I think if we got him revved up before the match, like we could see uh, Savage Eric. You know what I mean? And and that that could be good rating. So so yeah. I'm I'm just putting it out there. New Are we doing Year's round Eve. robin, Bob? Do we get like another someone oh. else involved? Like Ian? Oh, Ian yeah. has to fight his way out of SWAT and self defense and the podcast. Oh yeah. Yes, yeah, so yeah, he's, he's got his way out of. One, at Listen, least. Ian, Ian like played hockey when he was a child, so he still thinks he's hard. He is going soft. Ian would fuck you up. Line, line him up, too. I don't give a shit. He's been real smiley in online pictures. I think he's living good right now. So That's what I'm saying. He might, he's, gotten he to, he's gotten soft. You can bring him a little bit of Bethlehem mayhem, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking yeah, of free... So, yeah, New Year's speak, Eve, man. We're going to... Yeah, we got this built out for worst possible time. We're going to have cash. Wait, wait, wait. I got, before we go any further, I, uh, help me out with something. So uh, we did our Thanksgiving sampler. Thank you to anybody that listened. Yes. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, that was great. Thank you, Pat and Bob. For putting for, no sweat. For, for the people at home, uh, because I think that sometimes we assume that everybody sees everything on social media, et cetera. Uh, it's not, ne- not necessarily true. So I got – Multiple people telling me I I enjoyed the Jamie or K show. How the how do you spell this fucker's name? So can we spell his name on here so that we don't so that we can direct yeah, people there? It's in Jamie J A M I E or K O R Q U E. There you go. Thank you. Because um, it was nice. Shout out to everybody. See everybody. Yeah. Nice to see. I just I, I was like, oh yeah, that is one of those things where. That's not a phonetic spelling to me. <laughs> so I would fuck it up too. No, no. Yeah. June's been on it for a minute though, so I'm glad. Yeah, it's a it, it's a fun exercise and it's cool to get all our friends together and you know. I think it's Yo, yeah, it's, sure. it's I, I appreciate everybody. Lots of nice things always um from everyone about it. We try to share the love, uh encourage you to do the same, you know. Do do your thing, share, spread the word. Um that said, speaking of free ninety nine, you guys want to talk about hardcore more directly right now? Or let's sure. fucking do it. Let's, I do. I do like our pivot to just hardcore boxing podcast in twenty. Do you want to like talk about those? Those are always like fun. Like the Bridge Nine Board would be like, who would win? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> versus we we, we like, no. You know what? Uh, shout out to to some some Long Island homies. Brian Schatzel asked us to do a um, fight tournament. And I was like, ah, that seems like seems like a lot of work for for a nut that 
that maybe we don't want to get involved in. Like, yeah. oh, yeah. you don't think I could take him? Well, let me give you a knuckle sandwich. But uh, right, but all yeah, the scariest people win. How's that? Everybody wins. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Are you scary? You win. Yeah. Um, 64 people involved. 64 people win. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's- <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I kind of I wanted to do something. We, we do different gimmicks and shit here. I want to do a little pulse check um, and some ideas and thoughts I've had and questions I've had. I want to pitch to the floor and see what you guys think. Uh, and we can be brief or we can be long-winded on these you know I've, I've got kind of a pile of them i don't expect that we'll get through all of them today but uh but they're kind of like i say pulse check because it's kind of reading the room and talking about how we see things and feel about things right now uh you guys down for that let's do it sure all right my first one is this is something i've been thinking about for a long a while 80s hardcore right now like today is is the the classic 80s hardcore stuff that we we touch into we talk talk about we don't spend a lot of time with it though we we might more than other places but you know we certainly there's people who listen who would be like no no spend more you could do a lot more there but like with 80s hardcore is it something that in 2020 everyone already knows or kind of checks it off no. Or are there people that don't really care about it? Many. <clears throat> I think it's a bit of everything. I think, you know, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're a 25 year old person and someone's like, yo, you should listen to this record from 39 years ago, you'd be like, go fuck yourself. Right. Yeah. I can listen to fucking restraining order. I don't need that. And that makes sense. But I, I think, you know, it's, but I think it's either, you know, I mean, I can even speak for myself, and and I think you can. You, you guys would probably agree too. Like, when you first got into it, like, you know, did I go strictly straight to like fucking X and like all these like late seventies, you know, the late seventies punk bands? No, you know what I mean. Yeah, I got into what I right. liked at the time, so it's the same kind of idea mm-hmm. that like people are like, yeah, I'm not. There's so much other stuff. I'm not that interested in that. I'm going to be a '90s person. And no one's and no one was necessarily going. Oh, if you're going to get into something, you have to start at the beginning and work your way through chronologically. Right. And I don't the, think that's the way also, it works. Really, it's worth saying that there's also a sensibility gap that is natural and shouldn't. It doesn't even require a ton of analysis. It's it, it, okay. A friend of this podcast who will remain nameless. I don't know why I could just say his name, but he was talking to me about kind of the cognitive dissonance in his scene because in his scene, everybody loves the, the, they say they love the older, very hard, very tough, maybe antisocial bands. Right. But if you use the wrong word as a young band, you never get to play a show again. Hmm. And there's a massive cognitive dissonance, dissonance there because we know those. Okay, so I'm being really obscure, but the the bands that he's talking about, we know some of them as men, and yes. they've used they've used every wrong word. <laughs> so, so like, uh, yeah, there's this yeah. weird thing where somebody's getting a pass and and somebody's not, and that's one level of removal is when you're not holding 
people to that same standard because you're like, well, they're old fucks, you know what I, you know, and then the level past that is, I just don't relate. I, they're not on my radar. I don't care about that. And that's pretty natural. And then you hit the age 28 and you go, Oh, some of this old shit bangs. And then that's the, that's the natural, you know, like getting me to care about the New York dolls would have been impossible <laughs> as a kid, you know, right? but yeah. you'll get but to now it. Now it's like, it, it's like, yo, the sensibility divide is still there, but you find differences in people interesting as an adult rather than like feeling persecuted by them, you, you know? So like movies from the seventies, that's a diff- that's legitimately a different world than the one that my adult life took place in. But right. But it's fascinating. So you get into it. It's the same way that old people get into like fucking civil war history and shit. It's not relatable. It's just fascinating. So but I think right. that I as a, a young young person without mitts. Yeah. Say it again. I said I had a cousin who played like baseball like that was like based on the rules in like the 1920s like no one wore gloves oh wow that's wild (laughs) that's a wild one (laughs) yeah i mean i i think it's also kind of dependent on who your og is that's that's totally true and and where you what kind of scene you came from you know yeah i mean you think about like even the shore kids you know what i mean like all of their the people that they grew up looking up to like a certain type of music so they got into you know what i mean Mm -hmm. if one guy was like a fucking metalcore dude Mm. (laughs) Things might have gone far different. Fact. Maybe. Maybe. You know what I'm saying? It all depends yeah. on like who that person is. You know what I mean? Just how like we always talk about like like locking out, like those dudes praising Super Touch made Super Touch a thing. Mm. Yes. The same idea. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. And I mean that's that's true for everything. And I, I think a lot of stuff is localized. I think we're seeing things a little differently now, maybe like, like things are, things still are local. Like let's be real when the people you end up going to shows with or who are putting on the shows where you are at, clearly that influences it, you know, like, like that stuff all matters in a really big way. I think we, we've talked about that since probably episode one. Um, But the eighties thing, I think you hit it exactly on the head, Tom, and it's it can feel and, and Patrick, I think I like the way you kind of supported it. It can it one, it feels like a long time ago, and two, there can be some dissonance. There's this cognitive dissonance in time. And what I want to put also in there is at different times, and less so now. Like honestly, less so now than almost ever before. There has been some barriers of entry to to getting into like some of the classic 80s hardcore but even more than the classics like the level below that like okay agnostic front you know they're they're starter kit hardcore but that's one of my questions i think that might be getting lost a little bit but antidote we'll say antidote's the next level down right sure but the antidote seven is great it's fucking great Right, but if you're a 24-year-old that's used to current-day production and you hear, sure. like, Urban Waste, the songs are sick, but, like, the recording, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, you, you have to get me? You, right, you have to get there. But but so if you add that in, those kind of barriers, I think there's also the barriers of, you know, 10 years ago, f- 5 years ago, 8 years ago, 15 years ago, 
there was, and Tom, you've spoken to this, like, oh, you don't know antidote, uh, you know, like there was, there was that kind of attitude. I think we got less of that now. Us but older I wonder folks if have kind residual, of grown up. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's residual from that that, like, yo, honestly, I think there's a generation or two of people who actually stuck around who are like nuts to that. I don't ever need to hear this shit. Then you're gonna be a dick about it. Fuck the fuck off. You know, PK, you're a great example, right? Like. You've discovered a lot of that stuff in the not not ancient history because it no, finally, some, you finally mean, were right. You're finally away from the people who were like douches about your level of interest in hearing it, right? I, I, I listened to the Dead Kennedys for the first time in my 30s as an ex, as like a, a research project. <laughs> Do you right. Know what I mean? Like, right? It, it is, uh, there's certain shit that is just off putting when you're a kid and you're t- look. There's contrary dickheads too. We can't forget that. And I'm one of them. So like, if you tell me I got to like something, what are the odds I'm going to like that thing? Well, and also, you know who, you know, who has a contrary dickhead, like, uh, like notion from the start, most teenagers for sure people who are getting into hardcore. So, so if there's a dude who's five or 10 years older, who's telling him like, Hey, you really should be into this. It's like, well, fuck off. Ain't going to do it. Um, so I think that plays a role. And I think the time and distance. I do, you know, like, I really, I think back and, you know, 1980, let's say 1983. When I was getting into stuff, that was 13, 14 years before. 96, 97. So the Minor Threat discography was distant, but it wasn't, it wasn't 30 Plus years ago, distant, you know, right. and um, and I can understand why it feels a bit what, uh, removed. And then you add in the factor of not of of yo know, like like honestly, you, Tom, you said it well. I want you want to be a part of something that's happening now. Like the vitality of this fucking music is the current state of it, right? Um, we we do a lot of that, and I think that shapes a lot of how we talk about hardcore. It's like, yo, we do those year in hardcore shows. There's a reason we aren't going chronologically. We do them randomly because we want to expose people to stuff they maybe haven't heard. And if we're just going to work through them year by year in order, we would have a lot of people who just check out from first episode. You know what I mean? Right. Right. But uh, I, for, I know yeah. a woman who will not watch a movie after 2006. Or before 2006, rather, will not has no interest in a motion picture that was filmed before and released before 2006. Just right. no interest. She and it's difficult to argue with somebody about what might interest them. You can say, "Hey, you know, there's a lot of good films before 2006." And she will say, "What year old?" She'll say, "Yeah, I'm sure there are. I'm just not interested." Who can argue? Yeah, and you go and sit down. We're gonna watch blah blah blah. Is not winning anybody. You're not winning any points. No, no, exactly right. No, you can't right. love it. Like you, no one's gonna buy that. No, yeah. and it, and I think that's that's that exact. Oh, you hit it. You guys hit it right there. That exact impulse is how do you get someone who got into hardcore 2017, 18, 19, 20 to go? Hey, you know what? When you get a chance. You should really check out this minor threat band. You should really check out these bad brains records. If you like them, 
you're going to, it's going to open up a whole world for you. Um, and you know, I, I, I say quietly that that's something we try to do in this way where it's like, Hey, we want to expose people to stuff because of our, through our passion and enjoyment of it without that weird pressuring or like the, like looking down your nose at someone for not knowing shit. Like you'll find none of that here. We, we, one, we're too old to give, we're too old to give people that energy and two, uh, it's pretty, uh, it's in poor taste. It looks And bad. to me, it's akin, like, literally one of my least favorite things in the world is when someone goes, oh, dude, you got to watch this. It's super funny. And then hands me their phone and it's like a seven minute YouTube clip. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. You have to watch this. Right? Yeah. Like, right. as they're watching me watch it, I'm like, I want you to fuck off. Like, that's what that equivalent. So, like. I don't give a shit. It could be the funniest thing ever. I'm not going to enjoy it. You could have emailed me the link, and I would have gotten to it at my leisure. That's right. Yep. Check check this when you can. Check this if you like. <laughs> I mean, look, you've fallen off the street. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I also know from experience, uh, as a young person, y- y- your your inclination is to is to really hammer at people on things you care about but over time it's like i think i've probably turned more people on to the idea of veganism by being a well-adjusted vegan (laughs) than i ever have by lecturing someone or trying to uh commandeer their thoughts and 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 uh change them in some way so it's uh yeah i I think you've done the same with with longfish if we're being honest Oh, oh sure. maybe. Like, no one talked about lungfish from 1992 until 2018. I've never heard anyone mention lungfish, and except when I go, I think I saw them at the Palladium. That's literally the only time anyone's ever mentioned them. And <laughs> now I see people are like, oh, lungfish. I'm like, like a PK with the subtlety. <laughs> <laughs> I think I entered I it into the, into the body the body culture. It's a, maybe. I think the veganism thing is a good one. And I think it's it's true for a lot of things is that uh, the way you the way you frame something you believe in or enjoy or appreciate or whatever or or involved in can really dictate someone's attraction to it. You know what I mean? Or repulsion. Oh, you know, yeah. If if someone asked me about the music I like, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a bunch of kids at a VFW hitting each other and screaming to loud, poorly played music. I'm not wrong, but I don't think that's really getting anybody on board. No. You know, uh, maybe there's some weird maladjusted 13-year-olds who would really, really like that. But otherwise, um, you know, I, I, it's it's interesting. And I think 80s hardcore needs a little bit of that. Um these days just it's it's not it's not not on the shelf but 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 i also say this because the first half of what i said was do you guys feel and and i mean we we said there was a little bit of everything right but do you guys feel like there's certain elements of it where it's just kind of checked off like like a lot of music that isn't happening right now because there's so much to sift through that unless it's like instantly part of your regular rotation you listen and go oh that was that was good or eh, not for me you know and and then it's back on the shelf you know that in the virtual shelf as it is yeah i mean i think yeah, but- more, with more and more time i think like it the wheat from the chaff gets like separated yeah so, like, oh it, yeah when you were a kid you know the abused or fucking reagan youth was like a thing 
that you'd still listen to. Mm-hmm. The equivalent of you in 2017 is listening to Minor Threat, Bad Brains, AF, Negative Approach. Right. But oh, while, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like as time goes by, those, like, standouts stand out even further. Right, yeah. You, like, you, 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 exactly. And yep. no, unless you're di- you want to dive into, like, all of that stuff. Which you can, which is like you have the you option can. to now, right? You know, right. But, but the, but the good, the, yeah, exactly. It's it's like, hey, here here's the the top of the pops, you know, and right, right. W- w- you decide on if you want to g- dive down the uh, d- the hole. So, all right, um, I have another one. You guys ready? Ready. We talked about a lot, not a lot, lot, but we w- we would reference it, and I think it was a thing. In the earlier part of the 2010s, into the mid, really in the mid, I think this was thriving. The metalcore revival. Where is that at right now? Is it still a thing? Is that still like a really active teaming thing? Or is it kind of like in a different phase? It's a good question. It may have uh, pulled apart from hardcore again. Um, Mm. I don't know. I listen, we we talk metalcore is a funny thing, man, because there's bands that to all of our ears, they're straight fucking metalcore. Current bands. And sometimes I hesitate to call them metalcore because I know that the way that people see themselves can be way different. And true. It's a it's annoying to get a DM from someone who doesn't think they're metalcore. (laughs) So I, right. It is, uh, you know, maybe these things have separated. Maybe they haven't. I think that, uh, the metalcore revival, so to speak, uh, is definitely over. I think that the, the, the long tail on it is the code oranges, the knocked looses, the sanctions, like that's the long tail is stuff that might not identify as metalcore and honestly might have significant differences in some cases, but there's enough of that DNA. So I don't think metalcore is an ongoing concern, but I think some of the bands that people love most or are most excited about are basically metalcore bands. Tom. I think the definition of metalcore changes so much over the years mm. that I think metalcore in 2009 as compared to metalcore in 2020. Yeah. 1,000% different. Yeah. Because very I different. think, yeah. you know, right? What would you say, Pat? Yeah, it's, it, it, it is very different. It, it's uh, th- like there was a time, Tom. Metal core. No, well, you'll, yeah, Tom, yeah, you'll remember yeah. when. Everybody was uh, everybody was thinking that Swedish leads were the way to go, right? That doesn't happen at all anymore. Right, right. No, no. Like everyone was like, "Well, that at the gates record did really well." Yeah. <laughs> and, no, and, and 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 yo, uh, the way you said it too, like the definition or or like what people consider metalcore shifts a lot, and yeah. and because hardcore shifts closer and further, and I think we talked about it certainly through the middle part of this this decade it really shifted closer to it to a point where it was blending in a way where it's like, yo, of course incendiary is a hardcore band. Of course. Like, right. right. But there were, they would have been metalcore. Mind Force would have sure. been considered metalcore. Who? Sure. Mind Force. Oh, uh, they, they were on the line. They'd certainly like be on the line. The mosh parts and shit. Like it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Cause it's they have tough. those stop parts for yeah. sure. 
Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me. I think so. Like I'm thinking of the disembodied, like Renaissance. That feels like it's kind of gone through the cycle that those kind of things go through, right? You know, where where everyone was excited, the band kind of got a big following. There was bands who were kind of looking to them as an influence, and now they've just kind of become part of the conversation. Their awareness was raised considerably, you know? Sure. Yep. And, you know, that's not, this isn't to disparage that at all. It's just like, no. oh, you know, this it was kind of a new, oh, hey, everybody check this out, and then now there's a much higher awareness of it. Um, well, because there's a new crop of bands and kids that, like, they're not going to disembody to Mortar AD. They're just going to Code Orange and Knocked Loose. Mm-hmm. Right, but but the, there's still the, there's also new new crate bands like Archangel is getting way more fucking love than they have in the last fifteen years. So uh, and that there's started always a little be, bit ago, but you're right. There's always going to be a new crate band. You know, I mean, Kickback, uh, Archangel, whoever whoever it is. That there's just like somebody is always trying to make something a thing, and sometimes they're successful. Which bringing it back, Tom, when you said the wheat eventually gets separated from the chaff. I think that's largely true, but it's difficult to tell in any one moment because some bands have just a good publicist and I don't mean the paid for one. I mean, like they just have some like you said, like the the advocate, yeah, they just have an advocate somewhere like, and, uh, and all that shit matters because if you, okay, check this out. Uh, there was, I'm trying to think of what year it would be, but when I was a kid, there was a, a, a judges, a judges sense, you know what I mean? Right. Like, mm-hmm. and now oh, I, yeah. listen, you guys, you got different friends. Maybe judge is on the lips of every person you talk to judge no. is really. in my world. Fucking the judge sense has been over spent. for a, a, a solid 10. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, things rise and fall, uh, and while nobody would would count Judge out of nobody would say Judge is, Judge is the chaff, they might be in the in the cutout bin for the next few years until there's another Judge Assange. You know, because well, people have seen like That's they right. were like this over the, they were the great white whale that no one ever saw. Correct. And then I mean I always say this, and I don't mean this in any disrespect because Judge is one of my favorite bands ever, and they were like life changing. Mm-hmm. By the second night of Black and Blue, it was over. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we try to touch this, but people don't haven't listened to all fucking four hundred hours. Yeah, and I don't mean that to be a dick. Like, no, you don't. No, first it, night, I I tell the story all the time. We were me and Corey Williams were watching from the balcony, and when that first fucking like the fucking guitar thing came in, me and him were like screaming at each other like we were watching the fucking Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Like it was like we both couldn't believe what we were seeing, and we're like, holy fuck. It was great. Kill Your Idols playing right before them that second night. It was a rap. And then it was kind of like, you got to see it. And it's like, these songs are still awesome, but it's like, Mike Judge isn't 6'8 and yeah. well, super intimidating. Because the reality could never match what, what are we right. thinking? Five generations of hardcore kids, uh, illusion, daydreams of what seeing Judge must have been like. And and by the way, who they played to were mostly teens who saw them. It was so important at the time. Like when you see your favorite band, current band, when you're 18, it's fucking incredible. 
And then if you're to see him 20 years later, you go, oh, it was really cool. Different thing. Can't, can't possibly mean the same thing, but right. when you hear, they were it. legends, yeah. legends. Yeah, and once you're seen, there's diminishing returns. I don't give a fuck. You know, doesn't matter who it is because you is one of the only bands that have been, but even to them, to a point, I think like, they started. I think they started to lose just a little bit. Not, but not they played a lot more often than That's a lot right. of these bands. But like, I was just watching someone posted the Sheer Terror reunion, mm-hmm. which is around Thanksgiving about ten years ago. Those motherfuckers sold out Webster Hall. Whoa, crazy, crazy! Like mobbed at Webster Hall on like the Saturday after Thanksgiving in 2010. Yo, this like, is a good this is a good moment because this reflects it. Can can we all three of us take a minute and talk about how big a deal the Gorilla Biscuits reunion tour was in 2006? Insane. Like yeah, out insane. everywhere. Yeah. So big rooms. Big rooms everywhere. Big markets multiple nights. Every show was someone's favorite show ever. Right. Had a great lineup usually. They did kind of the right thing and got, you know, it wasn't like Comeback Kid was on some of it. Comeback Kid was, I think Comeback Kid was on it the whole time. Smart. Murphy's Law was on it. They had a couple, they had like a mix of. The New York show. Yeah. Like like they had a mix of young bands on certain venues, uh, legs of it. Title Fight play any of those? No. It was a little early for Title Fight. Um, Oh, 2006. Yeah, that's true. But um, oh, they did the quicksand shows. That's right. That's right. Um, they did a tour with you no. Know, they did. Yeah, they did some stuff. Like a week or something. Yeah. yeah. Yo, for because it's now a long time ago. Those shows. I was working at Revelation. Um, I was involved in a lot of ways. I'll, I'll keep that off off air. But but like it was a fucking outrageously big deal. Like people were freaking out about it. And like yo, GB still when they play, people are amped. And they have a special thing about them that's a little different, a little more universal than than a, a lot of the other rev bands, and and even you know even Youth of Today or whatever, they they kind of catch people in a certain special way. That tour, there's no way I could picture could have imagined a hardcore reunion tour being that big for that long. You know what I mean? Like yo, yeah. like to spell it out for people who are maybe more in line with the more recent stuff. The Have Heart reunion shows were, were crazy, crazy big. If they did, had done a whole full U.S. tour, it would not have been as big as the GB tour. Not even close. Okay? There would have been some spots where it was really big. Some places bigger. Yeah, yeah, probably. But if they were doing a whole tour, you know what I mean? Here's the thing. Like, there's X amount of people who came up to Worcester. Tom, like, let's be straight. Me and you both enjoy Have Heart, all that. Going to go to New York. Probably not going to drive up to Worcester. <laughs> No, you know? I'd probably go New York, Asbury, if they Jersey, play maybe. Yeah. And if you're really feeling feeling frisky, maybe hit Philly or Connecticut. You know. Yes. Yeah. Um, Which is far. Yeah. It's far. Exactly. So so those numbers drop, but they do well. But that was the GB. It was bonkers. Like it was bonkers, and um, and yeah. How do we, so? Do, 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 yeah. So that's you know. I think there's diminishing returns. I think these things go through, and this kind of leads to this because we started in this place talking about what I, I referred to as a, the metalcore revival. Because I think there was kind of this era where bands like Disembodied were being brought up to the surface, like "Hey, check this out." There was a lot of resurged interest in some of the Trustkill stuff, a lot of the '90s more metal stuff. This is my third pulse check. 
are we entering a post revival phase of hardcore? Like, yeah. whoa! I had this thought. I want to hear both of you because I think you guys might be on different sides of the fence. Here, here's my thought, and here's my hot take. It's probably not that hot of a take, but um, we're all kind of homebound, so I watch a lot of YouTube, like the oh, kids yeah. do these days. Good on and you. So, here's my theory. Turnstile was the band that brought an end to revisionist stuff. Here's my thought. Watching those, like watching them play different festivals and stuff, they're the first band that I remember recently that weren't like put on by the by OGs or any like they were the first like new kids are finding this and young people are finding this and gravitating to it. I feel like any of the other bigger bands got put on first by like an older band. Mm, okay. I feel like they're the first kind of like we're bringing our own crowd in. We didn't have to go on, you know, a month tour with whoever, a big band from the 2000s for you okay. to like our band. You okay. liked us for us and it wasn't like we didn't get any of like we didn't get a, the rub from somebody else. We just brought you all to 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 the show for our through our own work and not based on anybody else. That's that's an interesting con- comment because at first I was going to say uh, I was going to push back and maybe say, well, I think AN did, but you're right. And then I was thinking, well, something like Title Fight and something like Trapped Under Ice, but but what you added in there of like all those bands have examples. AN when they did the stuff with Converge. Um, and then they had a few others where, where like it was kind of they were put on. Right. And Bane um, looked t- after them and who yeah, else? Exactly. Know. Title Fight got a pretty big Newfound Glory tour that I'm not, that's not the reason I love Title Fight, but I think it's the reason, I think they got exposed by a lot of that. Even Cold World hooked them up. Oh, sure. And Trapped Under Ice had, you know, did some, was touring with Terror early. Like I think maybe even pre Stay Cold or right around the time of the Seven Inch, they, they did a big Terror tour that it's like, yo, the quality was already there for all those bands, but they got a big exposure push from someone. And I don't, your return style, I, I can't cite something like that necessarily. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, just watching that video, I was like, oh, everyone psyched on this are young folks. So you know you're what I mean? thinking, you're like, thinking it might have broken revival cycles a little bit. Yeah. Like, like old people got into them on time and space. Yep. Nobody was fucking with the like the older group. I mean, you know, or us, this, you know, not included. But I think, you know, a lot of shit was like a lot of people got onto them, got onto different bands from like the more recent records. While like you know the seven inch was all the the new crew Young of people. people, right? Yeah. Okay. Do you let think me give a, ca- let, a let me give a counter argument. Go ahead. Oh, weird. Not against not against Turnstile. I think largely what you just said is is true. Yeah, uh, they brought in Turnstile has done a really genuinely impressive job of not just galvanizing hardcore to to really like them, but also one hundred percent bringing in kids from the mall. And I don't mean that as a fucking knock. I mean that as a positive. So they've done a great job. Here's my argument against the end of revival culture and hardcore. Right. Right. The bootleg market is unreal. <laughs> it is fucking Yo, I, I'm glad this came up. I forgot because I wanted to talk about this. Holy shit. I, I can't. 
We'll take a quick brief thing here because I want you to get to your point based on this. Uh, There's so many bootleg shirts out that so are of high quality. Some bad, some incredible. I can't yeah, believe the, it. It's all over the place. There are some bad, but but uh, what's interesting is that it's like a steel sharpened steel sort of thing out there for the bootleggers <laughs> because <laughs> – once they get bad, like once they get knocked on by the other bootleggers, they tend to pick up their game a little bit. Um, yeah. But here's my argument. Uh, it's just, it's, we're in one of those eras where the references are going to be, uh, uh, uh not hardcore. So there's still, it's still uh revivalism to me without the reunion. Do, do you know what I'm saying? So, you're going to hear bands say like, yeah, you know, like you're going to listen to it. And it's going to sound like mind eraser. And the band's going to say, uh, we're just borrowing from the stone roses here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so it's, it's going to be that, but it is, it is, uh, uh, it, it's just a different type of revivalism. It'll, it'll, I'm convinced it'll pivot back to hardcore at which point <clears throat> if I had to guess, honestly, if the, if the, if the roaring twenties, the twenty twenties are going to be as like loose and like fun as everybody is anticipating culturally. I imagine that we'll end up on some of the shit that is fun for people like the fucking, you know, the, the, the stuff I don't necessarily gravitate to like the locking out and that I think we're going to see a lot of that sort of fun time vibe. We might even see like some crossover into uh, like hardcore bringing in some of the fat records, uh, uh, affectations, you know, just shit that is. I think there might be. I think there there might be a focus on on some of that kind of energy coming up, like a, a you know, not not necessarily fat records, not necessarily like locking out, but but the commonality of that is a more up tempo, yeah, fun energy, lighter energy. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I even see it in something like that Chubby and the Gang record I referenced last time, um, where it's sort of like. You know, opinions might vary. You know, mileage varies on how great or game changing it is, but it's not. It's not bring you down music, right? And I wonder. Right. I wonder if the heaviness of the last, however long, if someone wants to say one year or if someone wants to say four plus years, um, I think that uh, we could see a desire for something a little more uh, high energy and fun. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob Podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. 
We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. Yeah, I, I agree with that fully. But I think I, I, my point is, I don't think that we can, we're not dodging the bullet of revivalism. It's, it's just with us. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about it because <clears throat> so much, and, and Turnstile is a good example of this. Like they took a lot of elements from different spaces in hardcore, you know, um, and tried to synthesize them. And I think largely did very well, actually. I think they did a really good job, you know, um, nonstop feelings is not a record I, I sit with very often, but when I listen to it, I'm like, Oh, I can hear a little of this, a little of that, a little of this. The vocals aren't the same as a lot of the musical influences, but they pull it together really well. And then time and space, they add in kind of, you know, some, some twists that I wasn't, I wasn't totally expecting. Um, and I see a lot of bands trying to do that. And so what you said with the Stone Roses, but it, it just sounds like Mind Eraser illusion, is that desire to be making something new. I think that's happening right now, which in itself, like we have seen this before. You know, I think in the early 90s, there was a huge attempt to break the cycle in a lot of ways. You know, I think, you know, even if you think about scenes that were happening the new age scene was going, well, you know, we don't need to do all fast. We can, we can do this like traditional hardcore, but slow it down. And then there was a leg of it that was like, and we'll add some leads. And then there's the Louisville scene that I think they were kind of doing that, but then saying, but, but also think about what DC was doing and how they made their early eighties pivot to, you know? So there is always that interest in new. I don't know that we're, gonna break out of the revival we're not you know we're not gonna break out of the revival cycle but i think it could look different like i don't know that i'm gonna be really honest here like in the late 90s and you both can speak to this the youth crew revival was something that was like that was a real thing that people were like gung-ho on you know aesthetic look amount of bands that were going for it, you know? Yep. If you fast forward to like the late aughts when a band like Mindset's around, or even when the first step was doing it through a lot of the 2000s, yeah. it wasn't the same. There wasn't that scene around it, you know? They were on their own. They were kind of on their own. And and they ended up, and I mean, I don't know, may, I think that might be healthier for the ecosystem of stuff. Uh, as much as I have a passion for that, what was going on in the late nineties, I think both of you have slightly different perspectives on it where it was sort of like, Pat, yours is, this is ass. And Tom, yours might be, uh, some of it was good, but also some of it was real, uh, yeah. uh off putting in the way that people presented. Right. Sure. So, so, I mean, I don't know that we'll ever see something like that per se again. Um, but I, I mean, we've seen, I can't believe some of the revival type things. I never, like the metalcore one, yo, I, I don't think I ever expected there'd be a time where you could sell like early 2000s metalcore shirts for hundreds of dollars. But but there we were. Right. But I think that's the crate digging more than anything. You know what I mean? Like Disembodied yeah, was the- like, it, 
disembodied sound like shocking everything. Away. Yeah, yeah agreed. you know what I mean? Like, artery, the, like ba- there were bands, you know, Harvest, that were like, they were big bands at the time. You know what I mean? So it's not like now you're like, where the fuck is this come from? There are certain bands that I'm like, they made shirts? <laughs> <laughs> right. A lot you of know, that. and then it's like, like, there's a lot of that that you're like, oh, sh- wow, okay. So you got one of the 12. That's crazy. Like, you know, right. Um, those are the, those are, I think those are more like what Pat was talking about. Like, you want to be the the person who finds like the shit that you put your friends onto. Sure. You know what I mean? And like, I think we all do that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, even now I go, do you ever listen to blah, blah, blah? And they're like, you know, no, I haven't. Oh, this is sick or whatever. Like that's, th- Oh, it always feels nice. It always that's feels great nice feeling. to expose someone to something. But I think like. it's a Absolutely. sport for a lot of people too, to kind of be like, Oh God, you've never heard of, you know, whatever, whatever. And yeah, that's, and- that's the thing we need to take out back and shoot in the head. Like, yo, yeah, share stuff. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's based off this real positive impulse of like, yo, I enjoy this. You might like it. Or like another healthy one is if you maybe it's not something that you love, but you hear it and go, oh, this might be something that my friend who's got different tastes than me would like. That's that's some healthy shit. But when you turn it to sport and it's all of a sudden, like, oh, you haven't heard this yet. Uh, that's that's the party killer. That's the person who who it's like, all right, you want to get out of here? This this yeah. dude sucks. That you gotta we gotta stop that attitude. I feel like that's gone away though. Like I always a lot. like. I think you're right. When I was a kid, so like there were you know there was a few of us that went to high school together. We're all into hardcore, and like there was like a some you know I went to an old boys school, so like a few dudes like a couple years older than us that were still going to shows or whatever. Like I'll never forget there was a. A friend of mine had the, the purple burn long sleeve from like the nineties, beautiful, whatever the beautiful was. shirt, beautiful. They took it from him because he was a new Jack and didn't deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like friends with him, but like they just like stole it from his house when they were at his house. Yeah, like hazing, like yo, you you don't you, you don't deserve this. this. You're a new right. Jack, right? And that doesn't thankfully exist anymore. At least in my maybe because I'm old and. I'm only yeah, a new Jack. Who, who's who's going to sun us at this point? <laughs> but I mean, I, we know enough young folks that I don't feel like that's like a thing. I think it's a lot more welcoming than it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. I no, no one likes that feeling, right? Yeah. So, um, okay. Well, that, that kind of segues us nicely here. How were the 90s different than people now think of the 90s? I say this because I think <clears> – so I was walking around – New York the other day we had stopped there and, and picked something up and uh, actually it was very quiet in the city which is really nice in Manhattan and um, but I did see a lot of looks that that I in my own head I was like oh it's like you took various elements of different 90s pseudo subcultures and just threw them in a blender and it's like here you go you know it's like I've got a weird bad denim jacket with very large jeans and, you know, a funny hat. And I'm like, okay, you know. Um, but, it, you know, not to talk about the fashion side, but <clears throat> how were the 90s different in your head, in your recollections of them, than the way people now think of the 90s? Now that we're now 20 years away from it and uh, and it's something, you know, in the, in the overall cultural cycles – that's about the time where you start to see people looking back to a time frame for, for reference. Yeah. 
I mean, I think the biggest thing to me is that, like, nobody was big in the 90s. Mm. Like, the mid to late 90s, like, people did well in their little, like, sec- like enclaves, but, like, if you were, like, a younger person now and you think about the 90s and you think about all the bands that have become, like, well-known now, you know, like, yeah. spoiler alert, like, you know, Indecision Brothers Keep are probably playing in front of 25 people in your hometown in 98. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yo, like, no, you're right. There's there's very few. And, and I think they might. And the victory bands. Yeah. Like like I was going to say, Earth Crisis. Strife. I wouldn't say they killed everywhere, but they were pretty big everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Strife, at least they were kind of a phenom when they first started coming through. Like they, they hit a point where I feel like they were doing pretty well. But they weren't. Earth Crisis at that point. What were you going to say? They were as big as Earth Crisis. Yeah, right, right. But they weren't, you know, like, again, these aren't, these aren't sellout Webster Hall level, you know? This is, but, no, but, but I mean, they but, play tramps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People, big, you know? big, big venue, like doing, yeah. doing well. Like, but yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I think that's a good one overall that bands necessarily weren't necessarily as big and, and weren't. And maybe, like, here's my thought. The way hardcore is now where you can tour the whole country and have a a floor where you know you're going to get at least 100 people at a show or 75 people. Right. That was a lot less guaranteed in the 90s. Oh, 1,000%. You know yeah. what I mean? And, right? Yeah, some bands, I mean, did well, but, like, you know, even the bands that you thought, like, did well everywhere, we would cross paths with them and be like, yeah, you know. We played in Rhode Island with fucking Hatebreed and Grimlock. 15 people. Yeah, right, right. After Satisfaction was already out. Fuck. Right. And then we literally went back like three years later on one of these, uh, the the Stillborn Fest. Played in Providence, Rhode Island to 1,600 people. Yep. Right. (laughs) Well, okay, so that's my memory of things is the things were both bigger and smaller than people remember, assume, think uh, a big show was bigger than our big shows currently. And a small show was, <laughs> was yeah, that's a, good a, 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 a truly soul crushing, pitiful thing. <laughs> so, PK, what's a really uh, big show you remember from, from the nineties? You like, um, you remember going to, Okay, so the in in Albany the big shows were Saratoga winter shows. Right. Uh and that would be like I'm trying to think of who I saw at winners. Uh I always, you know what? My winners recollection is bad cuz I would always go for the opening bands, not the headliners. No, uh, yeah, same, so, same, same. So so I honestly I honestly couldn't say it was like you know, uh fucking downset Deftones, that's that that mm-hmm. sort of thing, but sure. with like, but they had like opening arm- hardcore bands, basically, right? Exactly, and then uh, so that would fill those rooms. I think Snapcase may have played there as a headliner. I think that's possible. Um, I'm trying to think of places I saw Hatebreed because I never saw them in a small. Sw- I, I saw them in like a 300 cap. I've never seen them. I've never seen them not fill a 300 cap, you, you know what I mean? So t- Tom's experience is, is earlier than mine or more regional or whatever it may be. But, uh, 
the I'm trying to think of what I saw in big rooms. I'm also trying to think of when I traveled. Oh, when I would go to Boston. Yeah. Uh, there would be shows I couldn't fucking wrap my head around. You, you know what I mean? Like I, I felt like I was in a different space entirely. Like at that time, Piebald could fill a big room. Oh yeah. You, you know, yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, it was, uh, but that again, to your point, that was regional as fuck. Yeah. You know oh I mean? yeah. 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 You know, that's actually a good comment was there were certain things that were much more regional phenoms, you know? Um, and then that, like there, that's, that's where we're going to get to is some of the stuff that you might've considered if it was around now, it would be national. Like, let's use the example Gulch. That might've been just a local phenom in California. You know what I mean? They yeah, wouldn't have that, that could, kind of that, national That, that could have been isolated. You know what I mean? That kind of thing would be like, because you don't have those little things like YouTube clips to really blow shit the fuck up. Um, you don't have the records getting everywhere. Like Tom said it at the top of this conversation, the victory bands, like, yo, there's, there's a connecting thread of earth crisis, Snapcase, and strife that they were all in victory, AKA a label that had the records fucking everywhere. Um, no, I, you know, I, I largely agree. There were, certain shows that I went to in the nineties and it's the late nineties, you know, that were big, but not, not as big as big shows now. Um, or they know, big, I mean, like the like, Super like, yeah, in, the, in the early nineties were big. Yep. I mean, even I remember like, you know, VOD shows were big. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Cause I they kind of stretched outside of hardcore to pull people in. Right. Well, I think I told the story on here when we, maybe when we did a VOD deep dive, like, um, I was in line at the PWAC, which was like this like DIY spot um, that they took over in, in Lindenhurst. Yeah. And I was in line and the dudes from Silent Majority were like, all right, you, you have to work today. And I was like, I, I don't even work here. <laughs> I'm just here to see VOD and Madball. And they ended up doing 2,300 people at their 7-inch release party. Right. There's nobody doing that. Yeah, nobody like no, one, doing no that. one's doing that. That's like, like a last show might do that. But so like – but even like, you know – there was like a, a big shelter show at um, Irving Plaza. Yep. There was uh, a VOD show at Irving Plaza. But I mean, the 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 bills are pretty stacked. There was um, uh, the sick of it all shows are usually the bigger ones. Like they'd sell out like the limelight or like they played that place. Um, I think it was called the Roxy at the time, mm-hmm. but it was like. AFI, Snapcase, Good Riddance, somebody else, somebody else. Like, it was on, like, it was big enough that it was, like, featured on, like, MTV News. Yeah. But there's nothing like that. Like, a regular, like, you know, we're just stopping through. Like, is there any hometown show that would be that big for any band right now? No, no, no. Right? I mean, like, think of the biggest, I mean, quite honestly, the biggest one would probably, the biggest hometown show that I could think of right now would be Knocked Loose. Yep, yep, for sure. Like right off the bat. You know what yep. I mean? Like what else is there that like you know for a fact like oh so and so plays No, even even stuff like Rotting Out that's so associated with Southern California. When they did their return show, that shit was huge. But that's- like and they're still going to draw. Like that's a band who I think is still like has juice. But uh, you know, and and like, you know, Turnstile in Baltimore, DC, they do really well. But it's not it's not 2000 people. Right. Um, I was thinking about Alive and Well. Tom, did you go to Alive and Well? <laughs> yes, I did. Right. Like, that was a big that was, show. Well, you know, host, I think I told that, that story about on here, too. Oh, Why did you tell stage? a lot of stories? Well, no. that So I went both, I went both days. Yes. 
But the first day was literally the first indecision show without me. That's right. Okay, so yes, I'm looking at this flyer now. So people know Alive and Well was a festival in Asbury Park in 98. Here's the first day. Crazy. Misfits, Sick of It All, H2O, Seven Seconds, Murphy's Law, Madball, Orange 9 Millimeter, Earth Crisis, Fury of Five, Better Than a Thousand, Dropkick Murphy's, Fahrenheit 451, Scarhead, The Enkindles, DBX, Indecision. And that's the first show without you. Oof. For opening the entire festival. Right. Giant show. Giant show. And I was asked by certain members of a band that was on that bill that lived in Asbury Park. Party of V. If I wanted them to clean off the stage. And I said no. Right. You know what? That was a I, big show. And day two was Burn, Floor Punch, Vision, uh, Battery, I don't think. Like, yeah. But, yo, the di- second day? Great. F- fucking great. Uh, were there 500 people there? Maybe. You know? Maybe. Maybe. But I mean, the other show was probably... 2,000? Easily. Yeah. I feel like... It was, it was I remember watching packed. it from the stage yeah. and the big stage. And that whole... The, the whole floor was packed. Yeah. It was packed. Thousands of people. Yeah. That's that's about as big as... But it was a fest. You know what I mean? Like, you, you yeah. had to get that mix. Um, PK, what were you going to say? I'm just down a hole right now looking up big Albany shows and totally bl- like all of my memories are in uh, QE2 and uh, bogeys. And I remember going to say, because I, I was just looking for, did I see Sigrid all at Winners? And uh, they definitely played Winners. I actually might have sent you guys like a really fun fucking uh, set. Yes. Uh, if from there. But I don't know if they headlined, and so basically, I don't know what I was going to say. Yeah, I. Did, but I'm just losing my did mind. Did you ever now. go to like, Backstreet Billiards in Saratoga? Oh yes, <laughs> oh yes. Okay. Who, who turned you on to that one? No, I'm looking at. I looked up uh, on one of the flyer sites. Uh, Friday, February 13th. Support DIY punk hardcore in Saratoga Springs at Backstreet Billiards. Devoid of Faith, The Disenchanted, Hail Mary, and Vertical Agents. You know who? 1998. You know who seen that was. Oh, oh, duty and and Andrew. No, no, no. Saratoga, pardon me. Uh, Backstreet Billiards was uh, where uh, uh, Hans. Oh, Hans attended many shows there. Yeah. All right, we're gonna do um, our five. We'll do a five one eight hardcore episode. We, we got to get <laughs> Hans and Neil because Hans will still hit me with some good YouTube hardcore videos here and there. So. Uh, I think I think we could get a, a good deep take where you can both lose your minds about five one eight lore. Yeah. All right. So but I think the phenomenon. Well, I, I maybe I'm speaking out of turn. No, please. But I feel like the phenomenon of like local band that like. I mean, I don't know if you were out there by then, Bob. But I, you probably didn't go. But like, there was a time when like the Throwdown eighteen vision visions like world, mm-hmm. they would sell out like major venues oh that got huge yeah i was there i mean i was there through the very beginning of that i mean you know what i mean like i don't know if that exists like to me i think bands became more kind of worried about like overplaying their hometown like it used to be like and this is how i always kind of explain it to folks like you know there was a time say like in my own experience that indecision drew well right sure in, in new york or whatever so like you know harvest would come to new york and we'd play together Mm-hmm. And then they were guaranteed like a good New York show mm-hmm. because you're playing with like a local that drew or whatever. 
like, but we would play, you know, we played CBs like five times a year. Right. Or we play like wetlands, Coney Island. Like we played literally like probably eight times a year at points that we play in the city. Nowadays, it's like our one city show for not us, like in general, just general current band. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, crime and stereo incendiary. They don't like they're not just playing over and over again. They'll kind of do just one big show, which are always, you know, pretty, pretty well. Right. But like they're not like kind of like it's not a consistent like every, you know, once a once a once, you know, a season you're going to see incendiary play somewhere somewhere in, right. in the city. Well, I mean, there's also no places to play in the city, but that's a whole nother no, the city. Yeah. Yo, you know what? That's that actually I think we've looped around this to a point which I think does get overlooked about the 90s. Things were more local, which is to say that bands would play locally maybe more frequently because you weren't fearing overexposure in a local way the way I think people do now. Yeah. Because it just you everyone sees it like, oh, they're playing, you know, it's just you know, as opposed to seeing it like going, they see it like, oh, you played, you're playing all these shows around, you know, your hometown. Weird. The the local phenoms, you know, yo, like we've talked about it a lot, but like there were local phenoms in different places. There's the Orange County metal stuff in Albany. One King Down. If you look, I'm not a One King Down fan, but you can watch an Albany One King Down show video from the 90s, and Insane. it's fun. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, it, it is nuts. For sure. Uh, if you watch, you know, <clears throat> and it's the same way. Like, in New Jersey, there was always bands who were like, you know, yo, Ensign was a big band. There were smaller bands than them, Uprise, et cetera, that, that right. did really and well. The, the Degenerics. If you talk to someone from New Jersey and bring up yep. the Degenerics, there's there's a good chance they're like, oh, that band's great. Oh, da, da, da. Um, and there were, there were micro scenes too, you know, like, there was backlash that was big, right? For- right. Well, and, and then when when I was young, there was there were these kind of like micro scenes of you know street punk bands who were doing who could do well enough that it was like, oh yeah, they're going to play and there's going to be 150 kids there, but they can't do that. You know, if they cross the Delaware or the Hudson, they're not doing that. Um, sure. And and metalcore bands, you know, there was little micro metalcore scenes that that did pretty well that were bringing people out. Um, right, but, like but and all that stuff before, sure. like for for the love of. But I mean, that was even like in New York. Like I always like joke. I'm like, you know, certain bands like were heroes at Castle Heights. Right, right, right. Yeah, but like we would literally play Long Island to no exaggeration, five or six hundred kids, yep. and like two weeks later, play Castle Heights in front of forty people. Right, <laughs> and it's like not that far. It's actually closer to my house. No, you know what's funny too? New York's such a good microcosm because. It was so lo- local. There were hyper localities. Like, yes, I bet there's people who lived in the city who were like, oh, like it would take it would take moving heaven and earth to get them out on LIRR to go to a show. Whereas there was probably other people who were like, yeah, I go out there all the time. The shows are awesome. But there were those are kind of, you know, you, you could parse. You could almost have the choice to do that. I knew people who just didn't go to shows out of state ever from new jersey I mean, now right. saying that sounds crazy sounds crazy because <laughs> they got like, many of your guys like didn't come to new york even no of course no you know like because because most of the time you could see it in asbury or you know or like asbury, something would come through you know like yeah. there, there was always something was going to come through or you go somewhere in north jersey you know um so yeah the 90s were more local than people want to give it credit for and and to be honest there were some positives to that i think 
the show swap stuff was really good. And some of that, like building up local, I'm not trying to be an advocate to play the same venue 100 times, but you know, I think that's another thing that might be lost is these weird little, a lot of scenes. There's one or two venues now, you know, and there's not the weird, like off place. (laughs) It's always like a different, like in the nineties, you had like a different look, like you could play like playing Coney Island high one week, one month, and then playing CBs like two months later wasn't a big deal because it's like it's like a different like different, different vibe. people yeah right different vibe different setup it's like you're gonna play with different house bands you know it's yeah. just different energy hey I just want to say I just fell for the same trick that I fell for a few weeks ago you send your you social security me- number to somebody <laughs> yeah <laughs> no social security number Bob gave me the heads up when I was on hardcore show flyer going damn life's blood must have been huge mm. because they're billed in a way that makes literally no sense on numerous shows. And Bob said, Oh no, they they made their own flyers. Yeah. And I I was on hardcore show flyer looking for an Albany show specifically uh, of something else, not life split. And I fell for it again. I fell for it again where I was like, Jesus Christ, life's blood. Uh, Everyone, (laughs) everyone, uh, hardcore show flyers.net. Um, awesome. Worth your time. Really one of the coolest, uh, Resources Great resource. Really. And, it, and it's got everything from up to this year and you can search so much shit. It's incredible. And, and listen, if I could make any recommendation to a band that it wants to exist for two years, but have a legacy, Scan your make your own flyers. Because <laughs> <laughs> I always love that. Like in the nineties and like the eighties and stuff, it'd be like, I, there's always like this, like I always remember this maximum penalty flyer. Mm. Right, and they're on top. It's like fucking maximum penalty. Yeah. In like small font. It's like as guests of sick of it all. Raw deal. <laughs> oh boy. I'm like, that's the fucking way to do it, man. Because, you know, I don't think those dudes were thinking like 30 years from now, people are going to see this somewhere and think we were headlining. But like, I think like that was such a thing. Like now it's yeah. like almost like a respect thing. Like that's don't true. put your name above the fucking main band. What are you crazy? But, but back then it would be like. This is how our flyers are. We're putting we're we're on the top of it, Yo, and then you know what? And and I get both sides because I'm like, you know, I, I want to be respectful to the bands who are playing. But yo, if you're the one putting in the time to make the design, you're the one putting in the coin to print these flyers. You're the one putting in the time and effort to distribute them. Fucking go for it, dude. You know, like I'm I'm not even yeah. mad. There's probably been a time where I might have felt different, but I really see that, and I'm like. Yo, there's there's some character and personality in that, in the idea of putting your band, who was definitely not as big as Agnostic Front, above Agnostic Front and five sizes bigger in font. You know, um, kudos. Now, now th- they might also uh, sneer at you at the show, but you know, you take what you <laughs> give. It is what it is. Yeah. All right. Um, I got, I got, I got a few more, but let's do one more. This one might be be quick, or it might be short. Might be long, but are we buying or selling the current melodic hardcore wave? And I called it a wave because I don't think it's a revival because we're seeing a lot of different forms of it. But I've noticed a lot more melodic hardcore and different forms of it in the last two years, we'll say. Some of it kind of leans into the adjacent core stuff, I think. And, uh, and that might factor into the idea, are we buying or selling on the current wave i'm buying okay patrick yeah i think uh, so uh, uh, full transparency 
because some of these bands like my bands. So I mean, you're I, part of it, buddy. Right. I I don't find a lot to my personal tastes. If that's what, but I don't think that's what you're asking. If you're asking, does it matter? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I think that it's gonna have, it's gonna come out of uh, COVID with still some life in it, which I can't say for everything. So uh, I think it. I think I'm buying. Tom, why are you buying? I think that after all of this, like, and it's been like a in a heavy bunch of years in all senses of that term. True. I think people like it kind of it always sorts of ebbs and flows and like people are going to be like, you know what? I don't really want to hear a mosh bar right now. I want to hear a little melody. And I think big sing along. Yes. I think people are going to like come out of this looking for like, fuck, I want to have fun and I want to be able to fucking like stage dive on somebody, you know, when we're ever able to do that again and not have like a big open circle in the middle of a dance floor. I think people are like are going to need more fun and more interaction. And I think melodic hardcore in any way brings that to the table. I agree. Yo, so I, I alluded to this and we've talked about this before. The stuff that's I mean we call it hardcore Jace, right? But but like to to refresh a new listener, that's the stuff that's hardcore either in energy or in ethos, but sonically might really escape those bounds and maybe is playing to a bigger audience or it's just swimming in different pools than a lot of the, the stuff that we, you know, probably is the core audience of what we're talking about, the core hardcore. I feel like there's room for that stuff to be picked up by casual listeners. Like, like it might be hard to sell regional justice center to a casual drug church fan. Yeah. But military gun easy. You know, I think that's pretty easy. And I, I mean, military gun might be even a step over, but, but it would be not hard to go, Hey, if you like drug church, you should really check out fury. You know, I think there's probably some translation there. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of, I think, listen, if the, like Fury is one of the bands that uh, Drug Church has wanted to tour with. Now, when we wanted to do that, they were bigger than us. And we we might be bigger than them now, although for anybody paying attention, these things ebb and flow. And right. when, whenever I talk about big or little, yeah. understand I have no fucking, there's no moral judgment. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it is it's just a function of whatever, whatever people, right. let's say again. It's just the 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 idea of going on last or second to last. That's yeah, it's it's honestly it's just logistics in the moment. It, 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 I've watched it change so much in my life that I I don't have any feeling about it. But the point is that uh, there was a time where we couldn't we, we like going out with Fury might not have made sense uh, because the bands were maybe too close. Maybe there there would have been some like how do we split this money. Uh, and that honestly, California, that could very well still be the case, I think. Right. Oh yeah, for and, sure. And, uh, the, and when, if they come back with a banger record, yep. they could shoot right past us again. But the point I'm trying to make here is while these two bands are not the same thing, they're more of, of, of a traditional hardcore band, even on this last record, uh, 
these two bands could definitely play together and should at some point play together. Uh, and I think that, it, I don't know if this is what you were driving at, Bob, but I think that that commingling of it is going to bring more people to melodic hardcore. Certainly listen, melodic hardcore always, always benefits from a strong alt scene. That's right. Because melodic hardcore is always the beneficiaries. They're always the ones that, that like, Oh, I'm getting into something that is accessible. I, I would now like the, the, uh, the uncut version or, or the, uh, more, uh, dangerous version. Get, let me, let me hear that. Is it, you know what I mean? And you, to, to the people on this, uh, uh in this podcast, melodic hardcore is not particularly dangerous, but listen, it's, it, there's levels to these things and there's no judgment. So if a kid is, uh, into a heart attack, man, right. Heart yep. attack, man, highly melodic band, mm-hmm. uh, but kind of has a, uh, a cynical edge to them that sets them aside from a, a lot of like pop punk or, or whatever revival thing that we're in right now. Right. right. So let's say that you love that. And then your kid that loves that, that suits your needs. And then you start like being like, Oh, w- what else is going to push that button? I need to chase that dragon a little bit more. And you end up with, uh, uh, probably, um, Angel Dust. You know what I mean? You end up with Angel Dust and, th- sure. and then maybe from Angel Dust Fury and you all understand what I'm saying, yeah. but, but melodic hardcore always benefits. No, I mean, in the same way as, <clears throat> you know, that when, when, you know, for example, if metal is doing well and there's thrash metal crossover bands, like a band like Power Trip, yes. you know, like they were able to cross over very easily. Bands like Enforced, if the next Enforced record is going to I think it's going to hit. They're going to have opportunities to go play up and then they can tag along, you know, whatever hardcore band or heavier or more metal or thrash band that they want to bring along. And that kind of cycle is cool to see. You know what I mean? Like, like the leap from lamb of God to dead heat goes right through a band like power trip. And that's an easy one. And yes. having that middle, having that there makes it easy. And that's kind of what we have with this flow of, you know, hardcore Jace bands for the more melodic stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Um, yo, I, I think that's a pretty good stopping point. You guys feeling good? Yeah. Well, I do. I got a piece. So that's, there's a lot of convenience well, to, to well, what you've done here. We're done, but coming right now, we have a little treat for everybody. Ooh. Oh, wow. Okay. Hit me. Live on Axe Grind, this is Rule Them All. Woo! Welcome to Live on Axe Grind. With us in the studio, Rule Them All. Uh, I'm Patrick. I guess this is at, I guess this is at the end of a podcast. Look, I don't normally do this, everybody. Um, <laughs> the, uh, this is one of my favorite bands that isn't heavy. Uh, how do you respond to that allegation? I like it. Yeah, do you think you're heavy or no? Uh, no, nah, I think so. That's, That's cool. Do you think there's any place where you would be heavy? You're not heavy in Long Island. Do you think there's any place you would be heavy? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think there's places where we'd be cool that weren't Long Island, but because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's we really are there, but heavy, no. Do you ever? Uh, I know you love Long Island. I know you rep Long Island m- maybe more than you even should. Uh, do you? Do you, but do you ever look around and, as you just expressed, go, damn, if we were in X, Y, or Z, 
we'd be killing it. Yeah. Does that go through your head? Yeah. Take Can you that hear one. Us in there? Yeah. If, right. I, if I just talk from over yeah. here. Oh, no, I think you should hold it to your face. Oh, I have to hold it. Yeah, literally every day. <laughs> like every, <laughs> every time we talk about being a band, we're like, damn, if we live somewhere else, it's All right, now, dope. with it established that you love Long Island, so nobody in Long Island gets salty. Yeah, yeah. On Long Island. Jeez, I'm not, playing, Island, I'm not yeah. playing this fucking game. It's, it's, just, a fu- it's just a fucking strip of land. Uh, where This is your opportunity to big up some places. And say we potentially would be killing it if we were from uh, Apache Junction, Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill, uh, probably Boston. Yeah. You think? Yeah. Really? Well, well we, you just, we you played want that fiddlehead energy. No, but they get big reactions in Boston. Oh, is that right? Uh, yeah, we had like the best show that we ever played in Boston the other no day. No shit. Yeah. yeah. And then I literally said uh, I'm from Boston now. After <laughs> after during that set. Wait a second. You need to explain that. How was it so good? Well, people liked it, and they were they knew the words. They knew the words, uh, they, they but they know the right words. Yeah, they know the right words, right. and they were moshing. And, and it, it what was, was that pummel. Uh, it was point? it was the Vantage Point record release. Uh, pummel played too, though. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I guess this is a question for, or a, a, you could offer a suggestion to the to the young bucks out there. Uh, how now? Aside from being a good band, how much do you feel the fact that you have co-proed, right? That you have with your friends constantly promoted each other's bands. How much do you think that has contributed to the fact that I'm talking to you and not somebody else from Long Island? Like, do you think it has helped you in any meaningful way? And would you recommend being a good friend? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if your friends are going to get mad that you don't promote their band, I, I don't know. I don't think it's that big of a deal. But uh, we just obviously like to push whatever we like. Did that make sense? I see. No. I, I, what, what did I no. say? I didn't remember what I said. You and your friends promote each other a lot. Okay. Do you think that helps? How how do you guys? How did you guys kind of work that all out? Like sharing the the fight them all Instagram. Oh well, you're just yeah. always big up in each. <laughs> let me put it this way: you're on each other's dicks in a positive way. Yeah. Well, we just like our friends yeah. <laughs> and, and stuff like. Um, also, the fight them all Instagram that just used to be the Jukai Instagram, sure. and it just had a bunch of followers already. So we just <laughs> were like, uh, 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 "Scanlon runs that. We don't even have access to it." So <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't even. No, yeah, Scanlon, that's all Scanlon. Scanlon's here, right? Don't, John, do, you want to go? <laughs> do, do not cross him then. Um, okay. Scanlon uh, presents, man. You don't want to fuck with that dude. Yeah, yeah, he wears yeah. white pants. Is that true? Yes. He wears all white, oh. not just after Labor Day. Is that Scanlon WK. Uh, is that real? Okay. Uh, well, all right. Um, I'm getting out of here because your friendship vibes are uncomfortable for me. But this is Rule Them All. Yo, what's up? We're Rule Them All from Long Island, New York. This one's for New York.
some fucking Mario noises. What the fuck? Is that an Italian joke? <laughs> This was our last song. It's called Dreams About. It goes out to Ryan Honings and Sean.
Thank you.